We have returned, citizens. It's another episode of I Am The Night, where Adam and I look at the episodes of Batman, the animated series, in order, break them down, dissect them, and most importantly, enjoy them. This week, it's episode 35 of the show, our 31st episode, Night of the Ninja. Adam, hello, how are you? I'm doing well, sir. Doing well indeed. Good to be catching up and getting an interesting take on both Bruce's past and Bruce's sense of honour in this episode, I'd say. Yes, indeed. This is the first of the Batman in training stories that um, this show did so brilliantly. In fact, I would say that this show did more to highlight Batman's training to become Batman than even a lot of the comics. We see so much of his history and we're going to see more of these characters and, of course, the infamous, well, not infamous because it's just legendary, uh, training with Zatara and stuff like that in later episodes as well. So what did you make of this first glimpse at young Bruce? Well, I think it was a great touch of um, artistic design from the illustrators to be able to show from the flashback scenes. It was very clearly him, but just very slightly yeah. younger. Very subtle, but very well done to just to show the time difference there and... The ensemble cast in the past was small but very relevant. Um, sort of harkening back to some of the more sort of historical episodes because we've just had uh, Robin's Reckoning where we saw uh, the tragedy of the Flying Graysons and yes. being taken in. So we're starting to, now that we're well over 30 episodes in, we can start to look backwards in time because we know these characters so well. We can get some context as to who they are and where they came from. And they've been able to execute this really well, showing um, Batman's martial arts training among some of the best. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And I love the way you touched on the fact that the flashback sequences, which are superbly done in this episode, really well done. All it is is literally he's a little bit slimmer, not quite as Jack, because right now the Bruce Wayne of, of today, or the Bruce Wayne of 1992, whichever way you want to look at it, is a big, meaty man. And you can see that this is still on his first tape to training. And I'll come back to that later, because I think it does play um, in his final battle with uh, with his nemesis, Kyodai Ken, mm. who we do see more of later. What did you make of, of Kyodai and Bruce's training in general? Uh, Bruce's training was definitely exactly what I was expecting, just... Um, mixed martial arts and karate, which is a very sective sort of... Uh, hand-to-hand style which Batman is primarily known for um, bits of judo bits of uh, lots of other pieces there it's all very effective uh, it's also good that his training situation shows the opposite of what he was expecting the mm. opposite of his moral code he was acting honorably training consistently um, had the respect of the sensei the master but the other student was very brash, very arrogant, and had his own interests at heart, which made him seem dishonourable, and that sort of continued as we saw him recur later on in the present. Absolutely. And do you not think that it was fascinating to see that at this stage in his career, there was someone who was better than him? I think that just shows that it was still him at his very earliest, or very close to his earliest, that he could still be beaten and to some extent Batman can be beaten a fallible hero is a more interesting hero mm-hmm. but uh, when he was at his earliest especially someone who was 
obviously a native to the homeland of where they were training and probably someone who's been training longer, he would still have a bit of a learning curve. So that's good that his determination was always there and he never really lost it and that he could be beaten then, but he was determined to know that he could become what he is now. Well said. Very well said. I love uh, the writing from Steve Perry in this episode and, and it's beautifully directed by Kevin Altieri. Now, the fight sequences themselves are really, really well done. And the training montages, the use of the ninja throwing stars on the samurai sword, which makes Wolverine's claws look like a wooden spoon in its sharpness. That sword is amazing. But I wanted to um, talk about some of the beautiful life lessons and martial arts lessons. And uh, Master Yoru in this is brilliant. And that line, defeat can be more instructive than victory. That's just very true. That's just generally true in combat or in uh, life and skill challenges, honestly. Because when you're defeated, you look for reasons why. And if you see shortcomings, those are things you can work towards preventing. Defeat is actually a much better teacher than success. That's just the truth. Yeah, unless it's a, a lethal defeat, a fatal defeat, it's one you can come back from. Exactly, yeah. So, and that's one thing we, we know about Batman, that... Um, I mentioned it ad infinitum to other people I speak to that he can be beaten and like you said brilliantly that's what makes him intriguing and engaging we don't want a hero that can't be beaten because that's just boring but if you don't kill him you'll just come back run yeah absolutely if he survives he will get you Um, I want to touch again like I said this beautifully directed and not just with the flashback sequences and the slight shift in tone and colour, but in little motifs and images you see throughout, like the Wayne cosmetics and the lipstick, all the different parts of Wayne Industries. A beautiful scene where Batman's driving away from the cave, the, the roof of the Batmobile shuts, and you still see Dick Grayson's face reflected on top. Lauren Lester, like you said, we just talked about Robin's Reckoning a couple of weeks back. Tell me what you think about Robin in this episode. Well, he's there. As, there's a lot of things to Robin, which is yeah. particularly interesting here. Uh, he's there to sort of intensifies and motivate Bruce Wayne through what he feels might be a particularly tough challenge for him mm-hmm. because this is a figure from Bruce Wayne's own past and I think this is probably the first time that something's ever been this personal for Bruce to come mm-hmm. back. And he feels like it might be a particular weakness for him, and he wants to try and encourage and pep up Bruce to be able to go through it, go through it, and defeat him. More than that, there's real moments of tension between Batman and Robin yes. because uh, the whole throughout the whole time, Bruce is very sort of distant and uninterested in what Dick is trying to encourage him with and what he's trying to say. It's not really washing, and that's sort of grating on Dick a little. It's making me feel that this is the beginnings of the tension that might lead to Dick eventually leaving to go to Bloodhaven to be on that way. But that's long, 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 long ways down ahead. But those kinds of tensions are still relevant and still important for a dynamic like that, so it might cost them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do feel that this is that first step as well, but maybe we did feel that a little last time when Bruce shut out Dick from capturing... Um, Zuko but again that was partly because I think Bruce didn't want to see Bruce didn't want Dick to see him lose control when he finally caught Zuko and because 
Dick had been hurt enough by this man. He yeah. wanted to take down Zuccolo and he just wanted to protect Dick. But in this episode, I also feel that Batman was nervous. He was a little afraid because this is the one guy who'd beaten him before. And if he could beat Bruce, what could he do to Dick? And not only that, it's so the storytelling is sublime because we start with a training montage between Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. Hmm. And Bruce is the one who's slightly trouncing Dick. And in vintage Grayson fashion, he takes it as a joke, he laughs, he crips, he pulls funny faces behind <laughs> Batman's back when Alfred turns up. But then it's a total flip of the switch when we see virtually the same thing happening to young Bruce Wayne at the hands of Kyodai. But what I love is the way that the tension between Bruce and Dick eases over the course of the episode. And by the end of it, we see that rare, rare thing of Bruce... Not admitting to a mistake, but actually turning around and thanking Dick. And we'll come to that later, but obviously, yeah, yeah let's yeah. talk about that. I think it's just really important to show the dynamics of the whole student and master mm-hmm. sort of di- dichotomy. It's um, rare to think of Bruce Wayne or Batman as the student, but that's why episodes set in the past or sort of half in the past like this are so important because we do see he wasn't always this figure of physical perfection and he wasn't always this figure of detective genius he did train he did graft he worked for years and back when he started he did suck and that's okay that's such an important life lesson to people who want to be inspired by batman is that it's a little out of the stretch of imagination for one person to be able to do all of the things that batman could possibly do but with enough training, determination, practice, yeah. and belief, you can get to those places. And you can become exactly what you need yourself to be. Exactly that. So many people have said that to get where Batman is, is a lifetime's work. But it's a lifetime's work for people who've got to pay their way and things like that. With him, in some respects, Kyodo was right. He was a pampered rich man's son because he did everything he wanted on the almost limitless funds that he had. But... He put in the effort, the training. He made himself that pinnacle because he never gave up. He didn't succumb to the pampered lifestyle and just reside in his penthouses with his supermodels. He used that as his disguise. And it's telling also that when Kyodai left the dojo, he resorted to a life of crime and as an injured for hire. Batman went on to become a sensei. And I think that's an even greater defeat. But Kyodai doesn't even know that. And that's also just to show that the being taking the honourable path is what's more morally rewarding, or at least that's what it's the moral of the story is attempting to be, which is a very nice thing to see. And that's what the whole samurai and, and martial arts culture is all about. Yeah, it's, success. Yeah, through um, hard work. Now, I do want to touch on a lot of character moments. Obviously, we've looked at the Bruce Wayne Dick Grayson relationship, but. I don't know if you caught the line where, after the roof fight, where Kyodai takes Batman down, but thankfully Robin turns up to save him. Hmm. Robin throws a batarang which slices Kyodai's um, martial arts gear, revealing the dragon tattoo beneath that Bruce recognises to realise who this man is. But when Batman and Robin are in in the Batmobile driving back to the Batcave and Bruce is explaining Kyodai's story, he said... He and Bruce, Bruce Wayne, Wayne trained yes. together. Yes, that reminds me of the opening sequence to Batman Arkham City, the second Arkham video game, where 
he's on the comms to Alfred and he explains it's worse. Hugo Strange knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. The whole idea is that I think the truest version of the person we see in these comics on this TV show, what have you, is that he, the person, is just this one solitary figure that does what he has to. Mm-hmm. The figure of the night that defends, that's Batman. The figure in the day who puts up the front so that no one else questions, that's Bruce Wayne. Those are three, honestly, completely different figures. Oh, I see. So you don't prescribe to the theory that he sees himself as Batman and he looks he at had, Bruce Wayne as the other character. If he had to choose, he would probably identify more as Batman than Bruce Wayne. Because I remember, I think in one of the reboots or one of the times that the DC continuity reset, but there was it was a retelling of the first meeting of Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman, and she put the lasso of truth around all three of them. Mm-hmm. And they all said their names in turn, but he said Kal-El, she, she said Diana, but he said Batman. Yes. That's right. He would choose to go by that name because that's who he chooses to be. But I feel like the actual cape, cowl, figure of fear, that is an extreme version of that self that he chooses to embody. As is Bruce Wayne. Uh, whereas that, yes, whereas Bruce Wayne is the, is the exact opposite of that dark and intense figure. He's just a vision of light to try and mask any connection between this face and all the money that resources all of that darkness that's a beautiful interpretation I really really like that so we've got to the stage where Batman because of the tattoo realises that could I can now I don't know if you spotted this or maybe it's just me reading too much into this beautiful animation but when they were fighting again Bruce versus Kyodai. And obviously for with with Summer Gleason who will come back to is in the room and Bruce Wayne's in civilian garb. He can't fight the way he's meant to because otherwise we talked about it before his cape will be hanging out and people know he's Batman. Yeah. But once Summer's vision is obscured Bruce adopts a different kind of stance to Kyodai's because when we've seen them before in training and the first time they battle they adopt similar stances, which to me means they're both using the same style of martial art. That would be normal because they would be both by the, taught by the same sensei, by the same teacher. Exactly. But when Summer's eyes are covered, Bruce adopts a different stance. And I saw a look in Kyodai's eyes where, hang on, this is different. Yeah. I don't know this. Yeah, that's that was honestly Kyodo's strength and that's why he could consistently beat Bruce Wayne because he had mastered the technique of that since they had been teaching them forever so his narrowness was made him good for that one particular conflict but that's the difference as soon as Kyodo left that, uh, that dojo he went on to become the ninja and resort to that life of crime Bruce Wayne mastered it mastered his craft in that dojo and then went to somewhere else and then went to Nepal to meditate with the monks and then went to the league and then went to all of the other places to train with so many different styles that Kyoto couldn't possibly keep up could never keep up so did you think that as well did you spot that little glint I think it was him recognising there was something different but I think potentially more insidiously I don't think it will add up to it but if I were writing the show this is what I would do I would say he would recognise that as Batman starts wow I like that that's really good to me I think that is the case that obviously we know that Bruce mastered 
multiple martial arts, then created his own and then used an amalgamation of styles, much the same way Bruce Lee did. He didn't just use Kung Fu or Karate or Jiu Jitsu or Judo. He created his own martial art, mixing the best of both, best of all of them. But I think that Kyodo realised that because after that point, they don't really fight. He literally gets a statue, he throws it out the window because thinking, I don't know if I can take this dude. Yeah. That, that's why I, I saw it in that light. Yeah, uh, it's works both ways which is why it's good to have such media open and it doesn't there's no lines of dialogue from the characters to show one way or another so it's it works both ways and I think it's it works out great stuff now speaking of summer obviously during the fight um, he had to basically let himself be beaten until her sight was obscured as we've mentioned but did you notice and of course it will help with his alibi later that as soon as she couldn't see, hmm. and it was something that Kyodo wouldn't really notice because he just knows Bruce, is that he immediately adopted Batman voice. Yeah, I feel like that would be, again, because the Batman voice is the natural thing for him to slip into and the natural way for him to speak into sound. So it was probably instinctive and it makes total sense. And it's another sort of slice of psychological warfare that Kyodo's just bombarded with because he's seeing a different voice coming out of a man he's beaten so many times and seeing a much stronger technique coming out of someone he's beaten so many times there's that was just another layer that made him being defeated so much easier to happen yep absolutely now young summer since the start of this show we've talked about how it's created so many brand new memorable characters from the obvious ones like Renee Montoya and Harley to the lesser-known characters like Summer Gleason. Now, this is her first main role in the story. Usually she's just been the little voice on the TV, helping further the plot and allowing these episodes to be 20 minutes long rather than an hour long due to that duration. But here she takes the forefront. Now, do you think she's a lot smarter than she looks? Could she be on the verge of maybe uncovering Bruce's secret herself? There's that, always that possibility. If Tim Drake could certainly do it, obviously in a version of the comics and not something we'd ever see here then he she probably could I think she would need to be a little closer it all depends on how thick that mat or whatever was thrown on her was so that she could potentially hear uh, the change of voice from Bruce Wayne and the sudden rush of excitement that caused this ninja to be defeated and get away it's possible I think it's not super likely I feel like there's enough strength to the Bruce Wayne character that there's still enough smoke to not connect the two and Bruce puts it brilliantly at the end of the episode doesn't he where he says that um, oh I said that Batman arrived and defeated the ninja which is actually the truth because yeah Yeah. he ceased to be Bruce Wayne and became Batman but she's definitely a much better reporter than we'd previously given her credit for right I'd say so I think she's determined to answer some get some answers and she's Sniffing around the past for Bruce Wayne well enough to be able to start to put pieces together, knowing that he went to Japan for such a long time and such. I think she's definitely got the right sort of gear to it, and I think she's gone to the Lois Lane school of plucky and <laughs> uh, forward, even though it might get her in a lot more trouble because she, she, that, just walking into a, another person's car is very rude, but then again, she needed those answers. Yep, girl's got gumption. Can't deny that at all. And uh, it's lovely, and it must have been lovely for her, for Mari Devon to 
go from just having a couple of lines in an episode to being one of the main protagonists in the show it was really lovely to see definitely yeah just to be able to express more as a character and just to expand it a little bit better other than just that source of knowledge is very nice we got to see her in the newsroom just uh, being determined to chase the story so I think we'll see more of her absolutely uh, again fantastic performances from Kevin Conroy Lauren Lester as Dick Grayson as Robin um, lovely lines with Dick and Alfred the much missed Ephraim Zimbalist Jr but we have to obviously credit the two other stars of the show who are Charlie Chin who played Master Yoru um, viewers in the US who remember these old shows may remember from Falcon Crest and um, stuff like the Nutty Professor in the movie The Wedding Crashes but for me he'll always be the guy from Big Trouble in Little China Joy Luck Club and um, a film I like that you're not that keen on The Prestige which starred uh, former Batman Christian Bale and Wolverine himself we've also mentioned Hugh Jackman yeah it's uh, nice to see that Again, as you'll mention in a little moment, the, this show has a habit of bringing in Oof. actors that have quite a breadth of oh yeah breadth of work behind them. Well, breadth of work is a complete understatement when it comes to Bob or Robert Ito, who played Kyodai, because again he was in Falcon Crest, but he's probably more well known again for people of my age as Quincy's. Um, buddy Sam Fujiyama in, in, in the show Quincy, one of my favourite procedural shows, which was about a, a, coroner, a coroner and a medic who solved crimes. He was wonderful. But he was in Kung Fu with David Carradine, the movies Rollerball and Buckaroo Banzai, movie I absolutely adore. Multiple characters of course, Star Trek The Next Generation and uh, Harry Kim's dad in Voyager. But his voice work, we looked at the list of work he's done and it's almost unending. Um... Last Airbender, shout out to Phil and the uh, Avatar fans there. Uh, Captain Planet, Animaniacs, obviously Batman the Animated Series, Jackie Chan Adventures, Superman Animated Series, My Little Pony, uh, Where on Earth is Carmen San Diego, Biker Mice from Mars, Darkwing Duck, Justice League, Chippendale, Iron Man, Karate Kid, Scooby Doo. I could go on and on forever. He has done literally every cartoon show. I've ever heard of and a few I haven't yeah. so Bob Ito like you say they get work. the best they really do get the best for roles that you wouldn't expect but then because I, I, my mind always just goes back to Adam West as the Grey Ghost but yeah. honestly Classic. I think the, the casting here is perfect he, got, he gets the measured arrogance but with the confidence that there's the skill to back it up there I think he did this, this role very well, and I'm almost certain we'll see him again. Oh, no, we do. We definitely see Kodai Ken again. I mean, I mentioned to you earlier that the character and this whole story arc is so brilliant that it literally spawned a set of novels, actual prose novels, which are quite hard to get hold of, but because I'm a super mm. Batman nerd, I managed to own. So, listeners, if you can track down these books by Box Tree, they're well worth getting. Duel to the Death Duel, spelt D-U-A-L, as in duality for Batman. Shadows of the Past, and The Dragon and the Bat. They're all um, adaptations of Kyoto Ken's adventures in this series, but they expand greatly. They add lots of hidden character, hidden depth, and stuff that isn't seen on the shows too. So if you can track them down, 
grab them. They're a great, great read. I've read them a thousand times, and they're superb. So, takes. What did you take away from this episode, good, bad, or ugly? What did you like, or what did you possibly not like? As nice as it was to expand the world and the past of Batman, to see him in his training and in his youth trying to become the vision that, of justice that he needed to be, it was really particularly nice to see other expansions of the world in this episode, particularly the other consortiums of Wayne Enterprises, particularly Wayne yeah. Cosmetics, because honestly, that is the first time I can recall that company doing anything that isn't just general corporate stuff. Mm-hmm. they're involved in manufacturing cosmetics apparently. so mm-hmm. just giving the big multinational corporation a bit more realism so they're actually involved in something is very nice absolutely personally. I couldn't agree more it didn't just expand Bruce Wayne's backstory it makes you realise that his businesses the Bruce Wayne persona does have more of a part to play than just Batman's disguise. A- absolutely. And we all see Wayne Chemicals and um, industries and government contracts, weaponry, whatever else. But seeing that the fact that they can do stuff like makeup, it's just a lovely little touch. Yeah, it just shows that they're a real large, far-reaching, industrious corporation. But it was nice to see something that they actually yeah. did. Because the weapons and the government contracts and, um, like, in the... Christopher Nolan movies, then break brokering deals with uh, accountancy firms in Hong Kong. That's all nice, mm. but it's all very vague. It's all very corporate for the sake of corporate. It's not explaining what they actually do with the company. So I like a bit of realism in the stuff that keeps Batman afloat. It's all very generic, big money business. Or something as simple as cosmetics, yeah. something that people use day in, day out. Yeah, totally. It helps humanize the business and the character. Absolutely. For me, the main takeaway has to be that end scene, really. And like I said, he doesn't admit he's wrong, but he actually does thank Dick and say that, listen, without me, I might not have won that fight as quickly or at all. And that for Batman Uh, is huge. I think the point of the uh, Code of Honor and... Showing that respect goes both ways between student and master is uh, to show humility, and it took a lot for Batman to eventually admit that, but he did eventually learn his humility and respect that could go both ways. So it was an important bit of growth for him as well. Because do you agree that Dick and Alfred actually did call him out that they were right that he was afraid because he just stayed stoic? He didn't say a word. He just shut the door and walked away. He was at the very least unsure. And he wouldn't admit to being afraid, so I wouldn't want to speculate on his feelings either, because he wouldn't. Yeah, absolutely. He doesn't do it, but at the end, he quite clearly does, and it was it was powerful. It really, really worked. Fantastic. Yeah, loved it. We are going to see more of Kyodai and more of Batman's training throughout the years and his travels across the world where he learned to be the Dark Knight detective that we all know and love. But until we see more, we're going to sign off, first of all, with Adam telling us where we can find him around the world of Tinterweb. You can find me on doing more Batman-adjacent flavoured things on darknightnews.com. I'm viewing multiple titles per month, usually a couple a week, of uh, Batman Beyond and Catwoman at present. You can find me on 
our pride and joy, fantasticuniverses.com, talking about my one true love, PC gaming and tabletop gaming. And tune in to the Hostile Atmosphere on YouTube for me and some university friends playing various online PC classics and oddballs. You can follow me on Twitter at IsItTinkerer. And yourself, sir? Um, please do check those shows out, especially if you're a fan of tabletop games and role-playing, because these guys are like um, the critical role people without the budget. It's great fun. And if you're into D&D and stuff, do watch Adam's shows. Uh, as for me, you can catch my news, reviews, and interviews across both DC Comics News and Dark Knight News by doing a simple internet search for Steve J. Ray. This show, I Am The Night, the DC Comics News podcast, uh, Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast, and the Spinner Act can be found across Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you grab your shows. These series as well, everything you can find on DC Comics News and Dark Knight News can be found across Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, and Instagram. As for me, please talk to me. Um, L Stevo, E L underscore S T E E V O on Twitter, and also, of course, Fantastic Universe is our baby, which Adam and I created, but now has more writers than a virtual library of nerdiness. So, with that being said, he is Adam Ray. He is the Knight. Together, we are the Knights, and this has been the I Am the Knight podcast. Adam, what do our readers and listeners need to do? Read more comics. And please watch more Batman. Thank you for listening. Bye now.